Wow. Good morning. Thank you, guys. I hope you're nervous for me because I'm nervous up here. So I'm just, I'm not going to try and hide it. But it's not going to stop me. God, God does what he does no matter what. So, well, as Chris said, we have been in a series called The Heart of the Art. And basically, we've been explaining the, the heart of God um, through art, how he pursues us, how he, he died for our sins. And we've been explaining basically ways that God uh, pursues us um, through art. And today, I want to talk about the idea of an icon or an iconography. Uh, many people know what these is. I'm sure you guys, uh, you know what an icon is. Uh, it's a person or a thing that's, that's regarded as a symbol that carries along with it an idea, emotions, maybe a truth about a, a person, truth about a community, and truth about a culture. And if we could pull up my, my first icon, um, I want you guys to see who that symbolizes. Can anybody tell me? Jordan. Everybody knows that. If that was made probably, if that was made 2,000 years ago, everybody would have been like, looks like we're going to be flying spaceships in the year 2000 with a basketball or whatever. But Jordan represents many things. He represents basketball. He represents shoes. To many people, he represents success or sheer willpower, in my opinion, to conquer anything in his way in regard to basketball. Jordan was an amazing basketball player, and that's what basically he represents. Also, we have Facebook. This represents the massive amounts of global media that we have today in our day. When people think of Facebook, you probably think of Instagram. There's no more Vine. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but that, that's gone like yesterday. It's a little app where you can take videos and make funny videos. That's gone. We have Twitter. You, you think of Twitter when you think of Facebook. You think of communication. You probably think of people being reunited with family members, with friends. And you probably think of millions, maybe even billions of lazy people just chilling at their computer. Thumbing through pictures and comments and arguing over doctrines or what time they went to bed at night. Who knows? Also, we have our next icon, Obama. <laughs> I knew I'd get that kind of reaction, too. But no matter what you believe about Obama, there are many people who believe that he is hope for America, as the picture might show, or that he is change for America, which to many people is positive, or he's progress, or he's a new, uh, starting a new era, a new face of America. And so icons are images that basically represent much more than a picture might hold at, at face value. There are many emotions behind it, many ideas, many hist uh, uh, histories to be told behind images, successes are praised through icons, whether, and they, they influence us, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's right or wrong. And there are also historical icons. Around the 5th century, monks used to paint pictures, and uh, they would paint pictures of saints, and they would paint pictures of Jesus or the Mother Mary. And, and this was at the time when the church was deciding um, the human nature of God and 
or the God nature of God, Jesus in human flesh. And uh, many councils came together at this time and, and described this truth, this reality that Jesus was man and that Jesus was God. They explained it theologically, but iconographies explained it artistically. From the paintings of saints uh, to the paintings of Jesus, icons um, were painted in, in many bizarre ways, and they helped people embrace spiritual truths. They helped people embrace the spiritual truth that the Holy Spirit was living inside of us and changing us from glory to glory, or sanctifying you, or changing you to, to look into the, uh, to look like Jesus. Um, the central icon has always been about Jesus, and in his depiction, as we see in the beginning of the first slide, Jesus um, was a man. It always, most of the time, showed how he descended down into earth, and how they showed that, they, they painted these things bizarre. They would have dark skin, so Jesus had dark skin to signify that he was wrapped in sinful human flesh, or maybe he had um, a red coat around him, which symbolized that he was born of blood and that he was born of Mary. And so they would paint these things in peculiar ways to show spiritual truth so that we would look at them and be like, what the heck? Why does he have such a big forehead? I don't understand that. That's a tin head. I've, I've heard of five heads, but that's, that's a tin head. That thing is way too big. Um, and so saints were painted opposite. As you can see, this is uh, John Chrysostom. He was uh, one of the most famous preachers in his day. His last name means gold mouth because... This man could preach, and he gathered many people. And in fact, he was such a good preacher that he was kidnapped and brought to, I can't remember what, I think it was to Rome. He was kidnapped, brought to Rome so he could preach for their church. That, that's some good preaching. I'll never be kidnapped for my preaching. <laughs> now, his, his physical features are his illumined skin. You can see that there's this divine radiance with, within him. It's not a light that's shining from the outside down. Um, but it's coming from the inside, showing that God infused himself into his clothes are bright. And you can also see that all of these characters, they pop out from um, the background of the picture. And they're kind of staring at you. And they, they, it's, it's as if they're inviting us into their world, inviting us to look like Jesus. Or Jesus pops out inviting you to accept him into your life, to access, accept him. His, his uh, message to us. And these were almost thrown out of the church because many people thought that they were worshipped item, but really, in all reality, they had an intended, intended purpose to push us towards Jesus, to push us towards God, to get an idea of what that was to look like. So the high forehead represented wisdom, or they might look really still because they represent peace. And so when the monks painted these, it was solely out of devotion to God. It was never meant to worship, but they had a purpose. And all of these icons that were painted were very useful, were beneficial and encouraging in leading us to worship and leading us to see the spiritual truths that God came down as a man, died for our sin, and then through our faith in him, um, gave us his Holy Spirit so that we might look like him. Now, we have an even more sure icon today. We have a more sure image that points us to our purpose. 
encourages us, it moves us. It's the exact replica of what we are supposed to be as sons and daughters of the living God. The icon that we have today is Jesus himself, the Word of God. I forgot to bring my Bible up here because I was going to shake it at you. The Word of God. The epitome of icons is Jesus. The epitome of purpose is Jesus. And we should always have our eyes set on the Word of God. John 1.1 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if Jesus is our image, our purpose, we should always be having our eyes set up on the Word because the Word is Jesus in letter form. And so if we take that line of thought, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the icon, the purpose of life, and he is the means by which we get to that purpose. He empowers us. He strengthens us to look like himself. And so we can say the Word is the icon that we should be looking at. The Word of God, the Bible, is our purpose. It guides us. It directs us. And the Word of God is the means by which we get back to the Word. Or we look like the Word. Or we look like Jesus. And so with that, let's go to the Scriptures. If you guys have your Bibles, or if you have an iPad, iPhone, Android, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. I was going to go from uh, verse 9 through 14, but I'm just going to stick with verse 11 today because it is so jam-packed full of truth. Romans 6, 11. Just before Corinthians, right after Acts. Paul says, you must also, so you also must consider yourself dead. Stop right there. Here Paul is referring to the union of believers who put their faith in Christ. He's referring to the union that we have with Jesus, our association with Jesus. And namely, he's talking about his Jesus' death. Pastor Terry spoke two weeks ago about the horrible death and suffering that Jesus went through. I want to take you back through some of that. Jesus, on, on, on his way, in, in his suffering, was scourged, meaning he was whipped 39 times with bone fragments and metal fragments, exposing organs, exposing ligaments, and maybe even bones. And right after that, he endured public shame, being spit on. He was beat. He had a crown of thorns put around his head. Uh, they took a rod as if it was a scepter, like a king's scepter, and beat him with it to mock him in front of 600 Roman soldiers. Talk about public shame. And uh, uh, he was stripped naked and put in different clothes. Think about the shame. That's about two to three times as many people as you see in here today. Jesus was in front of being mocked as the Son of God in front of all of these people. And not only was, did that happen, but after that, they made him carry his own cross, which he couldn't even finish. And they had to grab a man by the name of Simon to help him carry his cross to his own death. And then Jesus died a horrible, horrible death that Terry talked about two weeks ago, the science of it. And so not only is this an amazing act of God's love for us, 
not only that, I mean, God, God showed his love for us. He gave us a new position by showing his love for us, by dying for us. And if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, God has called you righteous. That's his love for you. He has called you a saint. We never hear that today, but you are. Each and every one of you who believe in Jesus, you are a saint. You are righteous. Your sin is not counted against you. What an amazing truth that I can stand here and sin, but yet God does not count that against me because I am in Jesus. His grace abounds all the more. It continues to abound and abound and abound. But not only does that truth um, stop there. See, Paul, Paul is saying that in this union with Jesus, sin, the sin in your life, the sin, the person that you used to be, took the very same suffering that Jesus took. Sin was mocked. Sin was beat. Sin was shamed. Sin took the crown of thorns on his head. Sin was whipped on its back with bone and metal fragments. Your sin that used to be has been killed just as Jesus was killed, was suffering, and has suffered just as Jesus has suffered. So the sin that used to enslave us, that used to make us obey its passions, its desires to dishonor God, has experienced the same suffering that Jesus suffered and experienced the cross. He's now nailed to the cross, and you are no longer affiliated with that old person no more because God loves you that much. We were united with him in a death like his, talking about the old man, the old person, so this is what Paul is saying here in this verse. To consider means to literally uh, count as a mathematical fact. Two plus two equals four. For all you mathematicians out there, two plus two equals four. It'll never equal five. It'll never equal 21. If you want to take two and get the sum of four, you always have to add two. If you add three, you'll get five. And so let's put that back into this verse. Not 2 plus 2 equals 4. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the, the mathematical fact that you are dead to sin. And just think upon that, that you are dead to sin. I want you to think upon that promise. And Paul wants to assure us of this truth. Because although we are dead to sin, although that this sin has died, he knows that we're not immune to sin. He knows that it still wants to rear its head in our lives, that it still wants to and desires to and wants to um, make us dishonor God in our lives. See, we still have this battle of sin within us. And so Paul is saying that you are dead to it because he wants to assure you, because he knows it's going to be coming back. So he wants to give you something that you can hold on to, something that you can consider, a fact that you can say about yourself that I'm dead to you, sin. And this is where I'm afraid that many people fall short. Many believers fall short. I used to be in a guys group at college, and we struggled for months, years, about this idea of, of that guys struggle with and, and some girls with lust. And we felt as though we could never get out of this sin. I mean, we were crying together in our sin. And no matter how much we confessed our sins, it never left. Until one day we had a teacher 
come and visit us at our group. And he said, you guys just need to quit whining. <laughs> quit whining about your sin. You guys have died to your sin. Like, are you not seeing this in the scriptures? And I'm afraid that many of us fall short in this area because we are not thinking. We are not considering sin being dead in our lives. See, if we don't look at the word of God, if we don't consider it, if we don't constantly persuade ourselves with the word of God, we're going to end up falling short because grace leaks and vision leaks and identity leaks out of you. And so if you're not looking at the word, there is no hope in looking like Jesus. And so Christians, I contend with you. I, I, I contend with you to really take a look at the scriptures, to think about them when you read them, to ask questions when you're reading the scriptures, to pray over them, to really meditate over them, to be engaged with them, ask people questions about them, because without that, you're going to be hopeless. I would have never, never been out of that struggle of lust if I would have never taken the word at face value, face value. If I would have never realized that God has made a statement about me that I'm dead to sin. So I encourage you to pray over it, read it, think it, consider it, meditate on it, dive into and hear the word of God. And if we are setting our eyes, our focus on this icon, on the word of God, if we are doing that, I believe it'll produce three things in our life, which are vital, which are key to this idea that Paul is talking about. He gives us the command to consider ourselves dead to sin because he wants us to kill it. It is our command, our Christian duty to kill sin in our lives. Not because we're going to earn our way to heaven, by no means. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus loves you. You have a salvation, but you have a role to play in the Christian life with God because he has set you free, because he has given you forgiveness, and that should be our motivator. And so Paul gives us this command to consider. And so with that, there's three things that it will give you. Understanding. By thinking, praying, studying, hearing, interacting with, contemplating on the Word of God, really engaging in it, it will give us understanding. And I want you to see the importance that if you don't have an understanding of God's Word, I want you to see the need for that. I, I'm not saying that you need to read the Word every day and constantly be reading it and then feel like, you know, you just don't have time to do anything, but really think about it, really engage with it. Because if we are not doing that, Jesus says this in Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. If you're not understanding the word of God, do you hear that? That Satan will come and snatch it away from you. That's, that's scary. Especially knowing as, as sinful as we are, I mean, if I can be honest here, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinful person. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect at all. And if I am not really considering and looking at the word of God, how scary is it that Satan could come and snatch it away if I'm not understanding the word of God? In turn, we end up like a man in prison, whom a prison guard 
unlocks his cell gate for him and leaves the door open, but we end up thinking that we're still stuck in prison. We're walking around our cell. Man, I hope I can get out. I wish I can get out. Please let me out. Let me out. Let me out. And then all the while, he can just walk straight out the door. But why doesn't he know? Because he hasn't taken the time to look at the gates open. The guard has set you free. The guard has set you free from your prison. The guard has set you free from your prison of sin. See, if he were to but look, he would run right out because he would know that it's open. And this eventually, understanding, will produce a faith, which is my second point. My, my, um, the second product of us looking and considering at the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. We know that if we are constantly hearing it, there's this amount of faith that is welt up within us. When we continually hear the words of truth, faith is built up into a mountain of expectation in our lives. We can begin to expect that God has delivered us. We can begin to expect to see change in our lives. We can begin to expect to be free from any sin that might entangle us. Faith will produce action. It produces power. Faith sees what might not seem true. We might not feel like we're dead to sin. We, We still might struggle with desires. We still might struggle with falling to it. And so because of that, we might think, man, I'm just not dead to this thing. I'll never be dead to this thing. But the author of Hebrews tells us that the uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the expectation of things not seen. So if you're struggling with sin and that's all you see, understanding will start to give you a faith that will look past that mountain. Faith will begin to, to be built up into a mountain of hope that will crush anything in its way. And so even though we might not see it played out in our lives, if we do not have faith, we will never get past our sin. If we never face what we see in the mirror, we become lost in a battle that's already won for us. If we don't look in the mirror at ourselves, at our sin, and say, I'm dead to you, sin. I'm not going to fall to you no more. I don't want you no more. I'm not going to smoke crack anymore. I'm not going to do acid anymore. I'm not going to smoke weed anymore. I'm not going to lie to my mom. I'm not going to get stuck in this lust and into pornography anymore. If we don't look it in the face and tell him he's dead, he's going to rear his head over and over and over again, trying to dampen hope in your life because that's what it did to me. Those were all the things that I used to struggle with. And I can tell you from experience that God gave me through his word a sense of hope that said, I can beat this. I can graduate high school. I can go to college. I am going to be a pastor. I'm going to be something for God that matters in this world because God has called me through his word and he spoke to me through his word. And through that, he has built faith within me.
I would have never reached my promised land if I would have never allowed myself to look at God's word and consider it and allowed faith to be built within me. On my promised land, my sweet promised land of looking like Jesus. So gaining a deep understanding of Jesus through the word will produce a faith that believes. And with belief comes immeasurable greatness of power towards those who believe. Ephesians 2. Faith produces power, which will produce action. And that's my third idea. Action. Which is immeasurable power experienced in the life of a Christian. See, with the second part of this verse, Paul says, So you too must also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Not only are you dead to sin, but you are alive to God. This union of death with him, you've died with him, but you're also alive with him. You've been united with him in his resurrection. Isn't that awesome? That you can sit here today and think, man, I'm struggling with this thing. But you know what? There's hope for today. And there's hope for tomorrow. Because you have been united with Jesus. He literally rose from the dead. This is not a myth. This is not some mystery that was just told and and made into a story. This is history. This is Jesus rising from the dead. And because you put your faith in him, your trust in him, your hope in him, you get the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we must also consider that we are alive to God because you're in Christ. Pastor Chris and I played basketball at EBC when I was uh, in my freshman year. And he, he was a sophomore, and I was way better than he was, by the way. Just saying. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but we played with this guy named Michael Hamilton, and this guy was an amazing basketball player. He could shoot and score at will. Like, he was shorter than me but and skinnier. And he could drive to the hole, like, every time and score the ball. Or he would just step out and hit a three from wherever. Um, And he was just an amazing basketball player. But I remember he took me to the side once in basketball practice, and he said, you have to believe that you are the best basketball player out here. Every time you step out on the court. I don't care what you think about yourself. Because if you don't think that you're the best basketball player out here on the court— you're not going to make shots. You're not going to make lay-ins. You're not going to make free throws. You're not going to be able to steal the ball. You're not going to block anybody. You can't box them out. You have to believe that you are the best basketball player out here. Now, I know that analogy falls short because I actually do really suck at basketball. But the point is that that's so true in the kingdom of God. If you are not believing what Jesus has said about you, how are you going to act out what God has called you to act out? How are you going to have power to to fight your sin? There's no way because people don't do things because they disbelieve them for the most part. They might do it ignorantly. But if you believe something with your whole heart and you say, I can do this, in Christ, you can do it in regard to sin. I'm not talking about getting a brand new Lamborghini or anything with with five bucks. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sin. (laughs) You can do it through Christ in regard to sin. And so I just want to ask any of you out here, 
Is there anybody out here who, who feels like, man, there's just no hope for me? I'm stuck in this. I don't know how to get out. There's nobody there to help me. I, can't, I struggle with lying all the time, or I, I struggle with stealing, or I struggle with disrespecting my parents, and I want to honor them. Or maybe you have a, a more a deep sin, a, maybe a more serious sin that is, that is super serious, that is real serious. And I, I want to challenge you today that the Word of God is living and acting in your life. You don't have to say yes to sin anymore. Because God has given you the power to say, no, darn it. <laughs> no, I don't want you in my life and you're not going to be in my life. I hate you. I don't want you. And I can say no because Jesus died and I've been united with him. I've died to you. No longer am I sold to you. I'm going to live for God. And so belief produces this action. It gives you this power. So now I challenge you. Christians, brothers and sisters, to go kill your sin with kindness. Be kind to a brother, and that will suppress your flesh. Love one another, and that will kill sin in your life. God has given us new clothes to put on that will kill sin in our lives. And that's the only way it's going to suppress that sin is if we continue to put those new clothes on. Second Peter says it like this, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he tells us to get knowledge, to learn about God, and to love our brother, and to show, show brotherly affection, to love one another. Show kindness, and, 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 and practice discipline, and patience, and you will kill that sin. Practice saying no, and then doing something about it. Making disciples, whatever, whatever it is that you feel like you can't do, I challenge you to go out and do it. And I hope that you guys are encouraged by this word today. And just remember, consider it, that just as ruthless as Jesus died, I hope you see that your flesh died just as ruthlessly. Because it's going to rear its head back up at you. And Paul wants to give you an assurance that, no, it's not going to have power over you. It died. You can tell it, no. You can tell him no. You can tell yourself no. You can glorify God. And so with this message, we're going to have a couple questions today just about what God is, might be speaking to you today and maybe what, what we can do to apply God's truth in our lives. And I, I challenge you guys to be open. You don't, you don't have to talk. We're not, not saying that you have to talk, but I challenge you to because you know what? As we expose our sin to the light, God will bring people into our lives and we'll experience the grace of God through other people in our lives. And that's what I did. I had mentors and people come into my life and they'll help you. They'll pray for you. They'll give you tools to use to, to change, to look more like Jesus in your everyday life, in your private life and public life. And so I, I challenge you guys to share, but also to try not to preach a sermon at your table. Let's try and get everybody included in so that we can all share something today share maybe what maybe what we're struggling with or maybe just a quick idea of like man this is how i can change in my life and this is how i'm going to to apply it so i just encourage you guys with that today um let's pray before um we we talk with one another lord jesus i'm so thankful to be here 
I'm so thankful because I don't deserve being here. There's nothing in my life that could say I earned my way to salvation. I, I earned my way of being saved from my sins, and I'm, I'm a good boy, and I, I do all this and that to earn my salvation. And you just, you brought me here by your sheer grace and your love to me. But I know that doesn't stop at me. There's so many people in this room that you love today, all of these people that you love, and you want them to get this truth because you care about them so much. You have seen sin ravage their lives, some of them, and you have seen sin make us miserable. And you don't want that for your children. You want life. You want peace. You want goodness. You want more of Jesus in them. And so, God, I pray today that this message would rock them in a sense, would, would help them to change, would push them towards change. And we are so thankful for your truth, God. We're so thankful for Jesus that he died on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. And somehow, by some way, by your power, we can be associated with him and be um, joined with him in union with him. So we thank you for that. And Holy Spirit, we, help, we pray that you help us to practice these things. We call upon you. We ask you, God, to fill up our, where we, we are weak and become power in our lives. And so bless our conversation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.